0: I'd also like to welcome you to Lakeside this morning and invite you to take a Bible and to open it to the Gospel of John. We're going to read chapter 16, The Gospel of John chapter 16. <clears throat> In celebrating communion, as Zoli just read from Corinthians, that it was something that Jesus did with his disciples on the night he was betrayed. And as we're going to John chapter 16, we're in that very same evening, the night that he was betrayed. Excuse me. And we're getting to hear what Jesus said to his disciples before that betrayal took place. But he knew it was coming. He wasn't surprised by it. So he knew that this was a final opportunity to try to drive home the most important things that he wanted his disciples to hear. Excuse me. I think I'm better now. Okay. And as he's making these points, we get the privilege of coming in and hearing from his own description, the significance of why he was about to do what he did. And as you're still turning there, uh, for me, it's not a normal day when someone calls you up and says, I just got one more thing that we're trying to work on as a family Uh, Legally, that we have to take care of before we go back into the mission field. It was Steve Holson back, and he was calling me last fall, and I said, sure, what's that? He said, well, the government wants us to designate someone who could speak on our behalf if we both get kidnapped. And we're in a hostage negotiation. So we, we were wondering if you'd be willing to do that. I know that's a big ask, and so if you need some time to pray about that and think about that, we want you to do that. And I said, well, no, I don't, I don't need any time to really pray about that. That's um, humbling that you would even ask that. And I'm going to spend the majority of my time praying that that's just never needed (laughs) by, by anyone, but put the name down and we're just going to pray against it as much as we can. But that was something they needed to get in order before they went back into the mission field to Mali, Africa. And what we've been seeing as a church family as we've been going through these chapters, one of the things that Jesus was preparing his disciples for was the reality that persecution was coming, that bad things were happening. And he, he didn't give any of them a sales pitch where if, if they just came to him and they just believed in him or they just served him, then everything else would go well and everything else would just kind of line up and, and the red carpet would be rolled out in front of them. No, he told them what is about to happen to me similar things are gonna happen to you. And so you need to really know and really believe that I am the way, the truth, and the life so that you will stay committed to what you know to be true and what you know to be right even when the persecution comes. So if you're here for the first time this Sunday, we welcome you, Uh, but we're kind of picking this up in the middle of this dialogue that began at the end of chapter 13 and goes all the way through to the end of chapter 17. So today we're looking at chapter 16, and then next week on Reach Sunday, we'll be considering chapter 17. So hopefully you're there. Uh, if you're on the, one of the Bibles provided for you, this is page 902, the Gospel of John, chapter 16. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father, nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. A little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he's saying to us? A little while, you won't see me, and again, a little while, you will see me, and because I'm going to the Father. And so they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, is this what you're asking yourselves, what I mean by saying a little while, and you'll not see me, and again, a little while, you'll see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, You will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. I've said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the father in that day you'll ask in my name and i do not say to you that i will ask the father on your behalf for the father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that i came from god i came from the father and have come into the world and now i am leaving the world and going to the father his disciples said now now you're speaking plainly and not using figure of speech now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I'm not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And that's where we'll conclude our reading for today. So you can see the the tension and the emotion in this dialogue between Jesus and the disciples. That he is preparing them for something that they don't fully understand. And as much as he tries to explain it, there's something in them that we even saw in previous chapters where, as Peter was starting to get a sense of it, he was like, "No way, that's not going to happen. We're not going to let that happen." And he said, "No, you, you are going to let it happen. It is going to happen. It needs to happen." But this is a chapter where he begins to unpack for them some of the promises that come with them because of what's gonna happen. And so he has good news for them throughout this chapter to encourage them that yes, persecution is gonna come, there is gonna be sorrow, but there are several things he wants to remind them of and tell them about so that they'll know in the midst of it that the joy that he desires for them to have will be joy that no one could ever take away from them. Christ did not promise any of his followers just a superficial joy that comes from a day when everything goes well and the weather is perfect and then is gone just as fast as it came. But what he wants to give them is a joy that lasts permanently, that can, they can be joyful on a good day and a bad day, on a sunny day and a rainy day, in the summer and in the winter. That's what he wants to give them in his love for them. So the first bit of promise that he gives to them is he says when he goes away that the helper is going to come. He says it's to their advantage that he goes away because when the helper comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And here he gives the promise of the Holy Spirit that in his absence and in his departure, the Holy Spirit will come. And one of the ways that this is an advantage to them is that in the humility of Jesus Christ and coming to this world and being born to a family in a specific town, living in in a distinct geographic area, in his humility, he limited himself so that only if you were right next to him as one of his disciples or one of the people in the crowds could you hear him and interact with him. That was an amazing act of grace on his part to limit himself in that way. And what he now is telling them about the helper is the advantage is that the helper, when he comes, is not going to be born in a family and live in a certain town and be there. But no, this is the Holy Spirit who will not be bound by any geography or any time or any individual's experience. But each of us, as his followers, will have access to the Holy Spirit wherever we are, whatever we're going through, whatever the day and whatever the season. And he's saying, that's an advantage. (laughs) It's not just as you're walking with me on on the way from one town to another, but it's to know the presence of the Holy Spirit with you wherever you go, always accessible and available, that our avenue and ability to communicate with the Father is instant. We don't have to wait till we get in front of the right person or end up in the right part of town. But this helper who comes provides this advantage by not limiting himself in those ways and being bound by those same things. But he is unbounded, accessible, and available for each and for every one of us. And what he also says that's good news is that he will be the one who helps to convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. If you ever had to try to have a difficult conversation with someone and say, there's something I really want to, I need to tell this person because it's an area of of their life that's not consistent. Amy and I were having this conversation yesterday about a very, very small situation, but I, I gave her the example and I said, is there any nice way to tell someone this uh, can you help me just figure out, is there any nice way to tell someone that they didn't do what they should have done when they committed to how they were doing it? So, I mean, there's kind of nice words you can put to it, but at the end of the day, no one likes to be corrected. <laughs> no one likes to see in any type of evaluation or in just conversation with someone a sense of, oh, you noticed that I didn't do what I was supposed to do, and you're trying to convict me of it. So oftentimes we avoid that type of a conversation. We don't like to get in confrontation with someone because we want to maintain a relationship. And some people don't maintain relationships in the midst of those kinds of discussions. They move on to other ones. But one of the good pieces of news that here Jesus gives to his disciples is to say, as you go about this mission and you go out in the world, it's not primarily our responsibility to convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. That there is the Holy Spirit who is there, who is the one who knows best, the thoughts and the intentions of the hearts of every person. We might see someone's behavior, but we don't know exactly what the motivation is behind it. We don't know exactly what the preceding hours that led up to that type of a thing. And we have a part to play. We want to shine the light into dark places. But if we feel like we have to do that in our own strength, especially when we know we're guilty of just as many things as they are, right? And, that, and that's another reason that keeps us from, from ever holding others accountable is we know that if that same flashlight or spotlight came back on our life, there's so many things that could be pointed out where we aren't the most consistent. And here Jesus is saying to his followers, listen, the helper who comes, one of the things he's going to help with is that we would be convicted of our own sin and so would they. And rather than having the type of conversation where you get into an argument and then you never talk again, you'd have these experiences where one person confesses what they're struggling with and you confess what you're struggling with in ways that don't make sense. You feel closer together than you ever did before because you're having a completely open and honest conversation about what your struggles are and what your difficulties are. We need help to be able to have those kinds of conversations. We need the helper to come and to do that kind of conviction so that our efforts to improve and to grow in our own ways and our holding others accountable and trying to help them improve and grow lead to actual growth rather than to bitterness or resentment or to the dissolving of relationships that are supposed to stay together together. And so he announces that this helper is going to come, not limited by time and space, not limited by information in any way, available and accessible to each of us. And he is going to convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And so we can live in that confidence that the mission that we're called into, whether that's a local mission or a global mission, as we're anticipating our barbecue next week and supporting our global missionaries, whatever the task is, To realize that we're not doing it in our own strength, but someone who is fully capable, knows exactly what to do and how to do it, is right there with us doing it. It's good news to know that you have a helper to do something that you feel otherwise inadequate or incompetent to do. For me, this past week, it was repairing my fence. If you ask me to build anything, it's the quickest way to make me feel totally incompetent and realize that I need other people to help me. My basic knowledge of physics and materials is so limited that what is common sense to other people, I'm just like, what, really, what am I so- that's how you do that? Okay. So I had my friend come over who knows all that stuff to do it with me. And said, you just tell me what to do. Like, I'll pick this up for you. I'll move this for you. you. You help me. And so Sam helped me out and redid the whole thing. And I just kind of watched him as he did it. And it was, it was really helpful. Because if Amy just sort of said, go out there and do it. I mean, I would have spent hours and hours and hours and, and only realized how bad I am at this. And why I'm thankful that people don't expect me to do this on a regular basis. And sometimes we hear the Christian life that way, though. We hear this, you know, God out in the distance and he has all these demands and all these requirements and he says, you guys better figure out how to start doing that. You're not doing it well. You need to do it better. I'm gonna give you another day. And you're saying, I don't need another day. If I have another day, I'm gonna do the same thing I did yesterday because I don't know what I'm doing. And that's not what God is telling us. Christ said to all of his disciples, I'm gonna send a helper to you so that you don't feel like you're limited to your own inabilities and the things that you don't know, but that he's right there with you, helping you, that you can rely upon him, you can trust in him. When you go into a conversation and you you just say, I'm not sure how this is going to go, you can pray. (laughs) There's someone to whom you can pray and say, please help me. Help me find the right words. Actually, help me that even if I don't find the right words, somehow... They'll hear the words they were supposed to hear. Like, just help this to go the way you would want it to go. And Jesus is telling each of his followers that he's giving them that good news, that gift, that they're not living their Christian life alone. They're not going to carry out the mission alone, but he's going to send the helper to them. And he's going to do that in the future. But he also announces to them that that helper who convicts the world is going to do that right in synergy, right along with the son himself who's going to subvert the world. And the word there, subvert, is intentional because what Jesus then describes is a great reversal that's going to take place. He's trying to prepare them that they're only hours away from one of the most traumatic experiences of their life where they're going to be sorrowful and they're going to feel like they're on the losing team. And they're going to have a lot of reasons to say, what did we sign up for? This, this is how it's going? And he says to them, you're not going to see me and you're going to see other people rejoicing over me. But then a little while longer and you'll see me again. So what, do you, what do you mean? We're not going to see you and then we're going to see you. And what he's telling them is what John unpacks in the rest of the gospel, that he will allow himself to be betrayed, he will allow himself to be imprisoned, to be persecuted, and then to be sacrificed, and then buried, put into a grave, no longer seen or heard by anyone. But then a little while later, they'll see him again. The promise that he's giving them of resurrection, As we said last week, all of those forces of darkness and evil that are going to come upon him and in their minds trying to stop him, trying to prevent him from making any progress in his mission, all of those things are going to be the very means by which the world will come to know and believe that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Because by putting him in the grave and sealing the tomb... It will be obvious when he is seen again. He must be who he said he was. He's the one person who's kept his word, who's told us exactly what's going to happen, which is the bad parts and the good parts. He's telling us we're going to be sorrowful. He's going to be gone. There's going to be an absence that's felt. But then he's also promising that he's going to be seen again, that he's the one person who's not going to stay in the tomb, that he's going to be victorious over the grave. And so he's going to subvert the powers of darkness by taking the very actions they commit and using them as the very means by which people come to praise his name. So that what they're going to do to try to stop him is going to be the very means by which the gospel advances, grows, and expands in the hearts of the disciples And then in every other person, they go and tell the gospel to. And it's going to be the Holy Spirit who comes and helps those disciples as they announce to the world that he was gone for a little while, and then he came back for a little while, and that he was the victorious one. And when we ask the question, okay, why would he do that, though? Why, why send the helper? Why would the son go to this great lengths? And what the gospel of John all throughout has been saying again and again, but Jesus reminds them here is because of the father who really does love the world. So this, the spirit is gonna come and help in convicting the world. The son by his death and resurrection will subvert the powers of the world and all of this because of the father who really, really does Love and care for the world. That's that's what it says earlier in in John chapter three, that for God so loved the world that he sent his son into the world so that in believing in his name, they could find him. So that what we understand in the cross and all that Jesus is doing and all that he's promising in the spirit, it's not the way to try to get God to love us but it's to recognize if God didn't already love us, then he never would have sent his son to die for us. If the father in his view of the world and his knowledge of you and me as his creation was not one of love toward us primarily, then he never would have sent his son into the world as a sacrifice for us. But some of us don't understand that. We think that because of our actions, because of our sinfulness, or a whole host of things, God must not love us. He must not care about us. And what Jesus is telling his disciples is, no, don't you believe that, and don't you in your mission go out and tell anyone that. What you're telling them is that the Father really does love them. And because of that unconditional love that he has for them, He didn't look at our sin and then say, see, that's why I can't have anything to do with them. But in his love, he sends his son as a solution for our sin, as a substitute for our sin, as a sacrifice for our sin, because he loves us, so that you and I could be cleansed and made whole. And what that means is that God really does love even those who are opposed to him, even his enemies he has the type of love that is truly amazingly unconditional and that type of love is what he's going to ask his disciples to proclaim that when they're the ones who are being persecuted and someone would say so why would you go and try to share this message with someone who doesn't like you why would you ever spend any effort to go and share this message with someone who's different than you But especially, why would you ever go and try to share this message with someone who hates you? That Christians in 20 centuries now of history have said, because we want to do what we've seen God do. That he has moved into the difficult places, he has gone into the difficult conversations. And He has, through His Son, through the Spirit, because of the love of the Father, made enemies His friends. Made people who were opposed to Him a part of His family. Because of the love that He has for them. And that's what we're called to discern in our own hearts. If we understand His love in that way and how great it is, and then if we desire as well to share that love. To do that, Locally, but then as we're focusing on this series and we're thinking about how as a church family to support our brothers and sisters and to t- that are taking this call in a global context, the, the global context that our missionaries are serving in are incredibly hostile environments. And so we shared last week that our, our missionaries in Mali, Africa <clears throat> have the majority of their things stolen from them <clears throat> just a few weeks ago. And they had security that should have been watching out for their house so that part of the emotional difficulty of it is to say, we probably also got robbed by someone who knew us. Someone who's been in this house before because they knew where everything was and they took it. And so part of what we're asking the church to do next week as we raise funds for them is to say, And part of their prayer was, please, we want to recover as many things as possible. And that's still our prayer, that they would be able as quickly as possible to recover whatever they can as soon as possible so that they can keep putting it to use in the medical missions that they're doing. But we also want to say as people who know them and love them, that one of the ways the Spirit can help them who's not limited by time and space is to move in your heart and in my heart that we can give generously and then say to them, you know everything that was taken from you? Here's enough resources to get all of it and more. Because we want to support you as you're seeking to love people that aren't necessarily excited about where you are. This Thursday, the Sobie family is heading back into Ukraine. If you followed any news just in the last two weeks, what is already a hostile environment seems to be picking up in intensity. And they're traveling as a, a husband and wife with six children, realizing, and we've had very frank conversations, at some point they just might have to evacuate quickly. And so they don't know. And so there again, one of the ways that the Spirit, not limited by time or space, can use us is to say, we just want to make sure you know if you ever have to evacuate quickly, there's more than enough resources to do that. We're so thankful you're going. We're so thankful you're willing. And we want you to know you're not alone. In, in whatever w- w- ways we can support and encourage and come alongside, we want to be able to do that. Is that's the gift of the body of Christ to one another, that we get to be the tangible hands and feet of Christ in this world to support each other so that we experience all that Jesus here promised to his followers, that the, the helper would be there. And it's not that the helper always talks to each one of us individually. I don't remember ever hearing an audible voice when I was trying to make a decision you know, you, you, we all have those prayer times where you're like, God, couldn't you just tell me? Like, if you just told me, this would save a lot of time and a lot of energy. And maybe some of you hear that voice. I don't. But I can point back to experience after experience of how he helped me through the friendship and the gift of wisdom in the body of Christ and in family and friends. And to go into one conversation with my mindset in this way and someone who loves me able to help me move in a totally different direction. That's part of the Spirit's help. And we, we want to do that in, in whatever situations come up here locally, whatever needs are present in our own community and in our own church family. We want to come alongside each other in those ways so that we would all experience what Christ has here promised. That the help of the Spirit is real that maybe whatever sorrow we're going through now, whatever struggle, this promise that our sorrow can turn to joy, that sorrow is not the end, that death is not the end of the story. There is hope. There is a future. He was seen again. There's resurrection potential. And keep that in mind. It gives us a different perspective. I'm looking forward to teaching next month I'll be back in Serbia teaching on the wisdom literature and the prophets. And as I was looking through Job and Psalms and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and the Song of Songs, they represent some of the trickier books of the Bible to interpret, even though they're called wisdom books. (laughs) But as I was reading through all of them, I discovered it really is helpful if you read the last chapter first in each five of those books. If you read the last chapter first in all five of those books, it gives you a really helpful guide to then make sense of all of the variety of what's described in the beginning. And if you read the last chapter of the book of Job, it makes the point that suffering is not the end. That's not how Job's story ends. Psalms, everything, That God is worthy of everything and everyone's worship. Proverbs, anything you can do, she can do better. Ecclesiastes, fear God and follow him. And the song of songs, many waters cannot quench love. when we're proclaiming the gospel with our family, with our friends, and trying to do it globally, we're, we're trying to shift people's perspective to tell them the end of the story, that the one who rose again victorious over the grave is the one who's coming again. And our sorrows can turn to joy. And that what is experienced now as conflict, as hatred, as hostility, as enemies, is not where things have to end up. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we thank you for the good news of your help. The good news of your son's victory over death and darkness in the grave. His victory over sin and all of its consequences. And we thank you for the good news of your unconditional love for us. And we pray that you would, through your Spirit, convict us about the ways in which we can continue to serve you in all of the callings and the responsibilities that you've given to us. But we also ask you to convict us about the ways that we can help our brothers and sisters who serve in incredibly difficult and hostile environments. The ways in which you want us to express your love and your help to them by whatever means we can. And we trust you to continue to act faithfully and consistently with your promises as you have done. And so we we pray in confidence Asking that the joy that we have would remain, it would be permanent through all of the variety of experiences that this life brings us. And that we would know that many waters cannot quench love. In your name we pray, amen.